you. Uh, to set the tone for the meeting, I will read an extract from chapter one, Bill's story, pages seven and eight of the big book. Uh, they did not need to tell me. I knew and almost welcomed the idea. It was a devastating blow to my pride. Who had, who had thought so well of myself and my abilities, of my capacity to surmount obstacles, was cornered at last. Now I was to plunge into the dark, joining the endless procession of sots who had gone bef on before. I thought of my poor wife. There had been much happiness after all. What, I, what would I not give to make amends? But that was over now. And the topic of tonight's meeting is working step eight with the sponsee. And uh, Tim will share anything between 30 and 45 minutes on the topic, after which the floor will be open for questions rather than the typical sharing. And with that, I will now hand over to Tim. Hello, everyone. <coughs> Tim Arcolic. Um, So step eight. Um, the book is slightly tricky here because when you get to when you get to step eight, uh, it says, by the way, you've already got your list. A little, little eight appearing there. You're, you've, already, you've already got your list. Uh, it says you made it when you took step four. Well, I mean, in the same sense that, you know, well, if you want to write a letter, all the, let all the letters are already in the alphabet. You just have to put them in the right order. It's a bit like that with step eight. Yeah, you've, you've done the list, but it, step four covers an awful lot of other material as well. So I think the best way to do this is to treat step eight as a completely new exercise. You can't, you can't do a step nine off the material in step four. You just can't do it. Um, it, it, it needs to be, uh, all the extraneous material needs to be stripped out and you need to have a forensic analysis of just your behavior. So obviously the work done in step four is not wasted. It forms the basis for the work in step eight. As with step four, so when you're doing, doing step four, you want to get the scope of the exercise clear first. And I think it's the same with step eight. So it's interesting. If you read Bill's story, he talks about approaching all of those uh, to whom he who he'd harmed or uh, who he'd fallen out with, basically. So what I get people to do, I think step four is very, very internal, usually. And people have a little bit of sketchy understanding of how they've been interacting with the world. This is where we want to do a proper forensic analysis um uh forensic being the adjective for, for <laughs> with criminal criminal law um uh we want to do a forensic analysis of all of the relationships and so i think a very good place to begin with step eight is to do a list of all relationships present or past who you a uh definitely owe amends to or have harmed in some way or b feel uncomfortable about because if you feel uncomfortable about them well something's been missed so far you've had a good go at forgiving everyone in step four you're still upset with auntie susan well we we need to look at that you can't just brush it under the carpet 
And this is all on the basis of the, well, first of all, Bill's story. You want to look at two types of thing in step eight. You want to look at the people you've harmed. You want to look at the people with whom you have unresolved tension. And Sandy Beach also will say that if you've got trouble with another person, you need to either forgive them or make amends. And sometimes those are two very closely related projects, which is why putting them into one project is a very helpful, uh, very helpful exercise. Also, the step eight in the 12 and 12, I don't really use the 12 and 12, but there are some ideas in it that I borrow. In the 12 and 12, it will say that about the most useful thing we can do is have a thorough examination of our human relationships, because that is what has caused our failure and indeed our alcoholism. Now, I'm not going to stand in judgment as to how accurate that observation is, but safe to say, I think it's important enough not to be completely disregarded. So step eight is where we just look at how we're interacting with other people. Uh, so as with step four, you scope it out so you know the worst of it. There's nothing worse than wondering what else is in the woodwork that's going to come out. Get the name out now, then you can walk around the whole thing. And you, maybe you've got 400 names, maybe you have 200. Um, sometimes one of, one of the things that people will say, and this is very, this is very common, um, I'm going to start being naughty now. Um, people will come back with a step eight list with like eight names on it or five names. I had a sponsor that was in his late 60s, who I know from his step four had punched half a dozen people. And yet uh, that's just punching. Like the, the only, you know, if we were just looking at people you punched, it would be more than five and he had just five people. So I just, just don't believe it. I just don't believe it. Um, we're not looking just at sort of grave crimes, but we're looking at the whole of our conduct. So really anyone should be on there uh, where one hasn't behaved appropriately, where one hasn't acquitted oneself appropriately. Because otherwise, if the name is not on there, you're not going to get to examine it. Now, there's going to be an awful lot of repetition. So don't worry that putting a lot of names causes problems with having to write huge amounts. It isn't because lots of things repeat. So with sponsees, if you have 49 sponsees, you probably ill treat them all in exactly the same way. You, uh, you know, there might be a few quirks here and there, but uh, it's the same with classmates or bosses or colleagues or customers. Um, so if the, even if there are lots of names, it doesn't mean there's necessarily lots of writing because most people have a limited playbook. Um, uh, so you get your list of names and then the analysis starts. Um, now, I play this one of two ways. I either get people to do the whole of the step eight first. Um, and then we go on to step nine. Uh, and unless someone has got some experience of the program, I won't do that specifically because when we start to go through the step eights together, we discover that the step eight is a dog's dinner. That's a technical term. Um, 
And so there's no point in people writing reams and reams and reams of stuff wrong only to have the whole thing sent back. You might as well get them to do a little bit and um, go through that and actually start to make some amends because every time you make an amend, you're clearing some of the wreckage. You're making your own perception and interpretation clearer which actually helps the rest of the step eight try getting someone to trying to get someone to achieve clarity on all of their harms without having made a single amend is usually you're on a uh, you're on a hiding to nothing um frankly uh because they won't be able to do it people need to get some experience of amends to get a sense of how accurate their memory is for one thing um uh Step eight needs very careful calibration. Some people need to turn the dial up and look at things more honestly and carefully. Others need to turn the dial down and not accord themselves such weighty significance in the affairs of others. And it's only by making amends that I find out whether I'm exaggerating my harm or in, actually in my case it was underestimating the harm in, my, in in almost every case i got it substantively wrong so how i harmed people was wrong nine times out of ten um and i mostly i underestimated sometimes i overestimated um so the experience of making amends is probably the most useful source of guidance for writing a step eight but you've got to start somewhere so with most people unless they're very clear-minded i will in which case i get them to do the whole step eight and then we just bash through uh, with someone a few weeks ago we went through his whole step nine list in about two hours and it's just done it's very rare very rare that that's going to work out uh because, as the big book says, maybe your husband lives in that strange world of alcoholism where everything is distorted or exaggerated. So the whole thing needs to be rewired. It's not going to happen overnight and you have to do it. It's painstaking this. So what I get people to do most of the time is say, pick a name off the list. Or maybe five names off the list. And pick the ones you anticipate are going to be the most straightforward in terms of figuring out uh, what you did wrong. Now, what most people hear is write about parents and siblings and ex-spouses and current spouses. They pick the, the five most complicated relationships first. Literally. Nine out of 10 people do that. You say, pick the simplest one. They pick their mother. You seriously think that's the simplest relationship in your life? I don't, I, I'm, I, still, I still don't understand why people literally can't hear pick the simplest one to mean pick the simplest one, but no one can. So you have to, I literally have to say to people, not your mother, not your father, not siblings, not spouses, not children got that and then two out of three still come back with the spouse of the mother I, it's it's psychotic but there we go um, um anyway so you find you find some simple ones and you you work on those first 
And what we're doing here um, is trying to nail exactly what the conduct was uh, that possibly might have harmed someone. So your three columns are column one. What did I do? What did I fail to do? What did I say? What did I fail to say? So concrete, I verb object or I verb complement or I did or maybe negated. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. I, where it says in the 12 and 12 that uh, defective human relations are at the root of all of our problems, including our alcoholism. I think the reason for that is because most people, and it was true for me, I couldn't tell the difference between inside of me and outside of me. I couldn't tell the difference between the inside of you and the outside of you. I couldn't tell the difference between me and you. So if I thought that you were thinking something, you had literally said it. So I would imagine you were thinking something about me and it would turn into you literally said that. Um, one great example of where this, ex OK, so the first column, what did I do? And the variations. Second column, what should I have done instead? We'll come to why that's relevant in a minute. And third column, who is harmed and how? Now, with this first column, what did I do? Um, you tell people, you, you try and tell people, you say you can tell, you can tell an alcoholic, but you can't tell them much. Um, you tell them, keep it nice and concrete. No, and, and what I tell people, I explain what abstract language is, and I explain what metaphorical language is, and I say, don't use either of those. We don't want, because if you use imagery, the person has to guess what you mean. If you use abstract language, the person has to guess what you mean. Perfect example. Uh, someone, I said, what, so what did you do? It was with her mother, I think. What did you do? She said, I created an atmosphere. Uh, what do you do? What do you do with that? Uh, what you want to describe in the first column is what a CCTV camera plus an audio recording device would record. What would someone who is transcribing uh, describe or either transcribing the tape or describing what they can see on the CCTV camera? What would they describe as going on? So other ones, I gave him a hard time. Well, that could mean a hundred things. I, my favorite one, this, you, you get bonus marks for this one. I didn't show her respect. What does that mean? You didn't open a door. You set fire to her hair. You stole her dog. What did you do? Oh, I don't know. That, <laughs> that's the thing that comes up. I don't know. Well, you were there. You get to use the faculty of memory. Um, you, see, you see, the story that we tell ourselves about what happened get, replaces the actual memory. So like the psychological narrative becomes the memory of what happened. And you have to peel that back to literally what did you say or do? And say or do can include... Um, more subtle things like tone of voice or volume 
of speaking. You know, it doesn't, it, it, it can be the manner in which we do things as much as, um, uh, 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 as much as exactly what we do. And there's sometimes a little bit of figurative language can work. So I stormed out of the room is pretty clear. You're using a figurative term, but we all know that there's no ambiguity there as opposed to I created an atmosphere. Footnote, what creating an atmosphere turned out to be was scowling, sighing, and pausing a long time before responding whilst staring intently at the person. Okay, <laughs> now that's clear. <laughs> Sigh, what was it? You know, sighing, scowling, staring in silence. Now we've got a picture. You see, you're smiling because you can imagine that you've got the scene now. It's clear and it's concrete. Second column, what should I have done instead? Uh, most cases, it's, well, I shouldn't have done it. Um, the right thing to do is almost always self-evident. Where the second column is relevant, sometimes, uh, you see, people take as their basis for doing a step eight what I feel guilty about. So it's very common if people have uh, broken up from a, a partner of some description or broken off contact with a friend and they feel guilty about it. And uh, you say, well, first column, what did I do? I, and this is, so you've got to be careful of language, which as they say, queers the pitch. The use of the language can obscure the truth. So you can, you can actually accidentally include some moral condemnation uh, in the first column. I'll give you an example. Uh, someone might say, I ghosted Albert. Now, ghosting is very, very specific. It was almost psychological term for, 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 for sort of disappearing inappropriately out of someone's life. Now, what you literally did would be, I stopped returning phone calls. That's the fact. Now, whether that's ghosting or whether that's, let's say, uh, Albert, whenever you speak to them, they just moan for half an hour and don't get a let you get a word in edgeways and then criticize you at the end of the call. Not returning phone calls is completely sane. That's what you do once you've spoken to your sponsor and gone to 700 Al-Anon meetings. You decide it's okay to not return the calls even though you have to go and throw up because it makes you so tense, the idea of not returning the call. So we've got to know well, what was the right thing to have done? So I, you know, I broke up with, um, I broke up with Kevin. Second column, what should I have done instead? Well, I should have broken up with Kevin. Kevin was uh, a gambler in relapse with his gambling and he was spending money on my credit cards, in which case breaking up with Kevin was a very, very good idea. Uh, now, if what you did was right, i.e. the first column and the second column match, even if the other person was upset or hurt, I'm afraid hard luck. The reason being in step nine, what you're gonna go and say later on is, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. It was wrong of me. And you can only say that if you shouldn't have done that and if it was wrong. So the second column can help tease out, particularly with people who have a, a touch of codependency and feel guilty simply because someone else is upset. 
Um, a, a good one thing, a good example of how if you want to manipulate a codependent, you can say something like, and I know because I've tried it, uh, you can say something like, uh, you're just not hearing me. And then the codependent will think, oh, my God, I'm committing the terrible crime of not hearing you. I've done a terrible thing. I was talking to my other half about this phenomenon of not hearing the other day. And I said, what do you think people mean when they say that they haven't been heard? He said they usually mean that their unreasonable demands haven't been met promptly. So, <laughs> no, they've heard you. They just haven't obeyed you or they disagree with you. So if so, that so what I mean about you've got to be careful about the figurative language here because it can obscure the facts of what's going on. So this second column can help reveal, particularly to people who feel inappropriate guilt. Um, it can help people realize that what they did was right, and therefore, even though the other person often a, a drinking or using addict or acting out addict of some description you have, when you have to set a boundary they're often furious absolutely furious because you're no longer enabling them and you know writing them large checks and, and so on um, it can help you see that actually you don't owe amends in all of these situations where you feel guilty simply because you haven't given in to someone else's manipulation so those are the first two columns but honestly with most people in most cases, the second column is just it, it's fairly straightforward and, and it's almost redundant, really, because it's obvious that the action in the first column was inappropriate. Third column, how did the other person suffer? Um, how was the other person harmed? Uh, and I draw this very broadly. And, and it's very simple, really. Um, it, and this is why I did right from the beginning of AA is I was asked to place myself in the other person's shoes and say, well, if I'd been treated like that, how would it have affected me? And it can affect people. The behavior can affect people in all sorts of ways. It can be physical injury. Uh, there can be um, taking someone's time, damaging their property, stealing their property, giving rise to inconvenience. Uh, nuisance is a good general heading for all sorts of behaviours which, which fall short of actual harm but are just incredibly annoying. Um, uh, I've already, so taking people's time, be, causing people to have to do extra work to work around you. Um, and then the emotional ones. And if, now here's the interesting, I think this is where it gets interesting. Sometimes the emotional reaction is way out of proportion to what you did. But if what you did was wrong, you're responsible. Now, you're not responsible for the extent of the emotional reaction. In fact, they are responsible for their emotional reaction. And of course, you're not really causing it. You're occasioning it somehow because they've got a pre-existing condition, as it were. But if I'm wrong then I need to apologize, even if the stink that it created was far greater than the actual crime. And there's a, a line in a Suzanne Vega song which absolutely captures this. A careless match 
in a very dry field. So lots of harms turn out to be careless matches in very dry fields, that one didn't necessarily intend great harm. One was either careless or negligent or rash or something. And it, and this, this horrible chain reaction started, which dragged everyone under the bus. Um, even if the crime is small, and there was something where all I did in one of my more manipulative moments, I won't tell the whole story. I was in a I was in a meeting about, I don't know, 15, 16 years ago. And I was trying to work out whether the secretary, who is like two, or maybe GSR, who was maybe two years sober, wet behind the ears, whether or not he was aware that he was going to have to handle a contentious group conscience in a week's time. And if he wasn't, I was planning to kind of shoehorn myself in to coach him on how to handle it without obviously being I, so I was positioning myself so that he would say oh my god am I taking the group conscience I don't know what to do will you help me that was the plan so I sidled up to him I sat down I asked him how his day was I asked him how his week was then I thought now I'm going to go in for the kill um Hey, uh, have you are you all prepared for the group to take the group conscience next week? I asked in the casualist voice I could muster. And like, what? what do you mean? Take the group. And, and, and anyway, he promptly resigned as GSR. And uh, uh, I know, I know. I mean, it's ridiculous. Um, but I was bit, I, I mean, it was very clear. It was very clear. I was being conniving and manipulative and sticking my uh, sticking my awe in to the situation. I was trying to interfere. And people always know, they don't not know. So he was reacting not to the comment, but to the obvious intent behind it, which was to muscle in. Um, and it, oh god, it created the most awful stink. And then I didn't attend the group conscience in question, and that was even worse because I was the one who'd called it, and it was just a, a um, I think that the prophets call it a shit show. It was a shit show. Um, now the actual things that I did wrong were relatively minor in themselves, but I'd start, I'd set the ball rolling. Uh, you know those Guinness Book of World Records domino competitions where like. 20,000 dominoes all, you know, fan out in the shape of, you know, a map of Madrid or something. I'd hit the first domino. And yeah, the whole thing was set up to it. The, the thing was a powder keg. That group was a powder keg. But I let the match and threw it in. So I had to make amends to like eight people, I think. And it was all ridiculous and everyone shouted at me. <laughs> there we go. Um, so... The, 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 it does don't worry with the third column about you know whether the other person's response was reasonable or not if if you set the ball rolling you have to you have to um you have to come clean and go and, and do your best so I'm, I'm friends with all those people and as far as they're still alive i'm friends with all of them now you know the amends worked it was fine once they'd shouted at me they were fine um so there are your three columns. First column, what did I do? Second column, what should I have done instead? Third column, who suffered and how? Uh, 
Um, uh, now, sometimes I've, I've seen a situation with a few people recently. The person won't have been harmed per se um, because they're, uh, they're just not that touchy. You know, they're, 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 they were, you know, they were, old, they were older maybe or more mature there they were wearing their big girls pants that day so you know the um they won't have been harmed but some kind of acknowledgement of wrong is necessary just as a matter of etiquette so i think those are captured as well if so sometimes it's simply a breach of etiquette it, it's the person hasn't been gravely harmed just because they haven't been gravely harmed doesn't mean etiquette hasn't been breached and there doesn't need to be an apology this is particularly the case in professional situations um or in situations where people are people you're not a professional but they're dealing with you in a professional capacity they can totally handle it they've seen i remember i remember <laughs> I remember making amends to an HR human resources manager at an employer where I'd I'd been I mean I still think I was right in a sense of this contractual point it was BS and everyone was furious about it it was it was horrible the whole situation was horrible it was, it was changing our contracts and we were uh, uh, essentially it was a pay cut for work we were we were which was being repackaged but rather than just accepting this was an organi organization-wide decision and maybe there are reasons behind it and blah 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 fine rather than doing that I, I, I became, hard as it is to believe, I became vexatious. I became, I, I was a gadfly um, pecking at the barely exposed rump of the HR manager for, for over the course of several months with increasingly um, shrill and expertly worded emails with full of little barbs and sarcasms. It was really unpleasant. Um, sober you know not drunk sober whatever anyway i made amends to bernadette i think everyone in hr at that point was called bernadette uh you 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 call up hr say can i speak to bernadette they'd say which one <laughs> i don't know um anyway i made amends to bernadette and i said you know part of the form was uh uh do you want to say your side of it you know how any of this affected you and oh, i love hr because they can that they know how to be completely damning in such a sort of um gracious graceful way she said oh i was fine i've dealt with people like you before <laughs> So I didn't harm her, but it was it was necessary. I I I made a nuisance of myself, and I breached etiquette. Yeah, it was part of her job to deal with stuff like that, but I breached the etiquette in terms of the way I did it. It was vexatious. So don't be too pernickety about the third column. Uh, sometimes no, genuinely, no one is affected, and it's laughable. It's just in, as Tom says, it's you haven't harmed anyone. It's just embarrassing. But if there's a whiff 
of someone being harmed, then you go ahead with the amend. If it turns out they weren't, they'll tell you. And as one of my favorite stories, I'll finish on this. I was, uh, went to a restaurant with some friends and uh, Jonathan was supposed to come along. And this is one of my favorite Jonathan lines. Um, <laughs> we, we, uh, Jonathan was, was, was at work. And so he came, he came to the restaurant about half an hour later than, than the rest of us. And we'd ordered by then. And a couple of the people were panicked that, you know, they'd ordered and then he was arriving after they ordered this. Oh, we're so sorry we ordered without you. You know, it's really rude of us. And he said, the only insulting thing is the notion that I might be offended that you'd ordered without me because I was still at work. That's the, that's the only thing. So very often, if there was no offence, they'll tell you. And then, you know, the amend is mildly embarrassing, but it's over in 90 seconds anyway. So you... you um, in a normal amends procedure, you're not losing anything except possibly face by trying it out. So if there's a whiff that the amend is necessary, go and make it. Uh, and we'll, I mean, we'll come on another occasion to covert amends or there is such a thing as making an amend covertly, um, directly, but covertly. Um, but, but anyway, I, as far as step eight is concerned, if there is a whiff of someone being harmed, you go and make amends. So that's all I've got on step eight. So, uh, Alistair, do you want to um, skip over into questions if there are any? Yes, thank you, Tim. Um, yeah, I will now open up the meeting for uh, questions rather than the uh, sharing. And, uh, and that can be done by the uh, raised hand function, or you can message me in the chat or just shout out <laughs> or wave your hand at the camera. Uh, Seamus. That's cool. I didn't stick my hand up, but I have to say something now. <coughs> um, <laughs> sorry, I'm just pressing a few buttons here. Okay. Got it now. Yes, I, I did have a question, actually. I, I wasn't going to ask it quite yet. I was going to wait until um, things had run dry. But um, so it, it seems to be implicit in what you said, Tim, that um, or rather, the, the situations you described seem to have a human agency at both ends of them. Um, there is a person, and it reminds me of what it says in the 12 and 12 again, sometimes useful to refer to. I think Bill described um, harms as being the, the results of instincts in collision. Um, so there's a sort of bruising, bruising going on there. Um, what I'm, what's going through my mind is, is a category of thing called um, uh, financial amends, which I've heard a lot about uh, in, in meetings and never been terribly, never felt terribly enthusiastic about. Um, I mean, I know of people who have um, itemized every bottle of sherry that they've stolen from Marks and Spencers and then gone to Marks and Spencers and said, I, I want to see the manager, I need to pay for the pay for the sherry um, and it causes all manner of difficulties um, with the accounts department because they don't know where to credit it and all the rest of it um, but I suppose the underlying point is is that there's a human being at one end of that but at the other end of the transaction uh, you, you've got a corporation which um, 
you know, arguably is not um, an entity that can have instincts that can be collided with. Um, and I suppose there's, there's a wider question there about how important it is um, to make amends to uh, yeah, it's inanimate or possibly even malicious organizations. If you've stolen from the mafia, for example, under that scenario, um, do you um, uh, then attempt to to put that thing you know, right? And 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 what is what is right? Um, so that's a bit of a rag bag, bag of questions. But um, maybe if I just hone that down a bit. Um, what do you think about this this category of financial amends? Is it real? Is it is it significant, or is it actually a distraction, a way of distracting ourselves from the from the real thing, which is where um, harm has been done to living, breathing human beings? Okay, that that's great. There are lots. There are actually lots of questions in there. Um, uh, when I follow the three columns, it actually takes care of that. Um, what did I do? I stole sherry from somewhere. Should I have done it? No. There we go. So certainly those two columns are without doubt. So financial, uh, whether it's stealing um, or, or, or so-called bo so borrowing um, or, or damage, um, it... As far as step eight is concerned, I'm supposed to be looking at what behavior of mine is wrong. Um, so it's irrelevant at the point of identifying whether it's wrong, whether it's a person at the other end, a corporation, um, the nation itself, the planet, um, or you know, the godfather himself. The, 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 the action is wrong on its own merits. So that's the first thing. So, so all of the, the uh, wrongs must be on there and financial uh, um, financial wrongs, whether it's uh, stealing or fraud or any of those. I, yeah, I absolutely, I, I certainly did it in step eight. Otherwise I wouldn't have, I don't think I, I would have completed step eight if I hadn't written those down. Um, now, Those wrongs have to be set right, I think, one way or another, because any place which reminds me of a, of a wrong that I haven't righted, it, it's as though there's a sort of pall that hangs over it. And I, I remember there was a particular employer where I'd uh, left, um, I, I had a, an end date, but I walked out about seven or eight working days before the actual leave date over uh, being uh, what I thought was diddled out of a bonus. I'd been uh, induced to stay several months after I'd given my notice on the basis that if I stayed, I'd get a particular bonus. Then the bonus day came and then I, there was no bonus and they found a technicality for not paying me and I was livid. And I, um, uh, I, my, paycheck had cleared for that month uh, I'd effectively tied up all the loose ends I'd done all the handovers so the only harm by leaving uh, was denying the employer um, work 
in respect of the money that I'd cashed. Um, now, I think they knew they'd be naughty at the time because when I uh, stormed out in, in high dudgeon, um, if I put the key fob inside an envelope, the key fob to get into the building, I put it inside an envelope. This was on the day that everyone got the bonus letter except me. Um, I went into the finance director's office. He was having a meeting with some clients. So embarrassing situation. Um, and on the envelope, I wrote quid pro quo, question mark, no quid, no quo. Um, now, they didn't come after me for those seven or eight days that I didn't work, that, but which they paid me for. And I think they recognized that the whole, the whole affair was, was sort of murky, frankly. On, uh, on both, well, their behavior was murky and then my response was murky. But I, when I did make amends for that, irrespective of their poor behavior towards me, none of my business, uh, it's my behavior towards them which mattered. I realized that I had been avoiding that part of London in case I ran into anyone from there. And as soon as I made the amend, this cloud lifted from over that particular, from over Leadenhall Street and Leaden, Leadenhall Market. I no longer needed to avoid Leadenhall Street and the adjacent roads. So something must be done. If I've done things wrong, something must be done with all of them. Um, now, you've got three situations, I think, with uh, apart from straightforward financial amends, you know, with people you've uh, stolen or, or borrowed from and not paid back, where it's a human being and there's clearly a relation, uh, an ordinary human relation which needs to be dealt with. Uh, you, you've got three further, actually four further categories. Um, was it three or four? Anyway, you've got corporations. How do you deal with corporations? Uh, corporations and governments and local authorities. And, and so corporate entities or bodies of to some description. Um, secondly, you've got, well, do you, do you make financial amends to the nefarious? Uh, you know, whether that's uh, your example of mafia I've not come across that, but I have come across plenty of people owed money to, uh, well, well, more sort of low, low grade East London organised crime or um, drug dealers, things like that. Or indeed, I, I've met plenty of people that refuse to make amends to corporations or governments or local authorities on the grounds that they're all evil and bent anyway. So I don't I, we don't owe them anything. Um, these people are quite happy to walk along a street paid for by taxpayers, but nonetheless, you know, they don't hover above it for fear of touching the, the, the evil tarmac. Um, but that's an argument that people, people use sometimes. Uh, and I, I, I deal with the, and then you've got the, the question of um, where the, the, the sort of victimless crimes, where it's very difficult to identify who the amend is owed to. So now this does come into the third column, really, who suffered and how. And I think it's quite right with going to the local Sainsbury's trying to sort of pay for the bottle of sherry from 1974 uh, is just going to cause problems. But something needs to be done. Uh, now, the third column actually solves this 
with the corporations. Uh, so the, the two big examples that you get an awful lot of are number one, shoplifting and all of those related things. Uh, number two, uh, benefit fraud. Uh, social security, so if you're not in the UK, social security fraud or, 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 or bending, bending the rules there. Now, although the entity with which you've been interacting is uh, faceless, as it were, and that, that, yes, there are people who are fronting it, but they're just representatives of the organisation, they're not the organisation itself. So the local... and 21 is not has not been harmed by what someone stole from that that branch uh, two years ago probably not the same manager they're not hasn't been personally harmed but if stuff is stolen from a corporation the shareholders of that corporation have suffered and who are the shareholders uh with lots of these corporations, it's people who've got their savings or their pensions or their insurance policies invested in large corporations. So it's people like my mother, whose income depends on a uh, very modest income, depends on the returns from investments, which in turn are made in Sainsbury's and Tesco's and all of these other all of these other big corporations. So there is someone who suffers at the end of it, but it's massively diluted. Um, the so who suffered and how it's the sh it's the shareholders of the corporation who suffered. How do you make amends to the shareholders of the corporation? We'll tune in next week for that. But the 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 short version uh, is a, a very good way round this to actually get the money at least um, in the right ballpark. It's very difficult. You can't really give large corporations money, but what you can do is you can help support the local community causes that they all now support through their, their, their corporate social responsibility. So that you're, you're as it were, relieving the corporation's burden, um, whether or not that, you know, an aggregate has an effect on, on the shareholders, I don't know. But, but, but that's the closest, you, I think that's the closest you can get. So there are ways of getting pretty close. And it's a, it's a similar question with... Um, uh, where who suffered and how with benefit fraud? Well, it's not the local benefit office. The people that work there have not suffered. The person who suffered is the taxpayer. Um, a friend of mine asked around, uh, just as an experiment, asked a number of people, if you've got, if there's a bloke in AA that's now sober, who defrauded, it's usually housing benefit. That seems to be the one that people manage to, you know, get the authorities on. Um, uh, if you've got someone that's defrauded the housing benefit people to the tune of £10,000, uh, should they come clean, giving rise to prosecution and all of the costs associated with that? Uh, police time, um, uh, legal assistance money the costs of the courts there are lots and lots of costs associated with that not to mention the risk of your future unemployability or reduced employability because of a criminal record or would you prefer that person to contribute to the public good to the tune of ten thousand pounds plus interest every single one who were all taxpayers, who are the people who are ultimately harmed 
by the benefit fraud said, no, I would want them to contribute that money to the public good. And, and several of them spontaneously suggested, how about housing charities? If someone has defrauded the um, uh, 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 got housing benefit, well, maybe they, that's the way they can give back. So there's a way of making it, there's a way of personalizing all of this. Um, when, I've, when I've done wrong, I do have a relationship. It may be amorphous, it may be difficult to pin down, but it's there and something needs to be done about it. And uh, one very good example of this is uh, with, and this is a very personal view, so this is not meant to be an instruction to anyone else because it's contentious matter. But I started to get very, uh, feel very awkward about um, uh, carbon. So I, a few years ago, I started to offset all my carbon and I, I didn't just work out what it was. I actually multiplied it by three and then offset that with forest planting projects. Uh, and that changed my attitude, that changed my emotional attitude towards environmental things. I still believe the same things. I still belong to the same party. I still give money to the same causes. But the... Uh, Funny enough, the terror went out of it. An awful lot of projection outwards of anger and rage and hatred and condemnation comes from my own repressed guilt, which I can't get rid of because it's in me for my own conduct. Unless that conduct is amended one way or another, I'm going to continue to project out. Once the guilt is gone, the projection stops. Last point, with the... Um, the, the ne'er-do-wells, um, I think if I, I, I'm speculating here, I think if I owed the mafia, I'd probably pay them off first just not to get killed. But that will be it. That, I mean, that's, that's pure speculation. Uh, people disagree with this on drug dealers. Um. Uh, I didn't have drug dealers on my list, so I can't speak from experience here directly, although I've had lots of sponsees who have. Uh, I've had many sponsees who uh, ha have paid back their, their drug dealers. Uh, uh, very often the drug dealers are, uh, they'd be shopkeepers in another world where drugs were legal. They're, they've got a little business, it's illicit. And in, with my sponsees, the drug dealers were just kind of ordinary local drug dealers, not, you know, the organized crime style of drug dealers. And they just paid them back. I've got a, a good friend of mine who says, absolutely not. It's immoral to contribute to uh, a situation, to return money to, into a system which causes so much harm. Uh, and I think there are, as, as Felix Frankfurt has said, there are matters on which reasonable people of goodwill disagree. And so I think paying back uh, ne'er-do-wells uh, uh, or criminals or whatever is a contentious point. But the thing is, I'd have to ask myself, what is the principle here? Does that mean I only make amends to nice people in general? Do I have to judge each person's worth? Uh, do I have to judge their behavior? If their behavior is also bad, do I not make amends? It's difficult to do. It, it, there are ways of, of finding principles to justify that position, but I, th I think it's there's a danger of legalism there. Um, 
exactly how one does it with criminals as well is a matter of, of um, one has to approach those sorts of things very, very cautiously, but that's more of a step nine issue. So I don't know if that goes any way to answering your questions, Seamus, but I think that's all I've got on those. Thanks, Tim. Um, Karen, you you had your hand raised and then you lowered your cassette. Yes, thank you, Alistair, and thank you for hosting this, and thank you, everybody that's here. And Tim, thank you for taking this hour out of your, your day to be with us. Um, you said something at the ending, and I wanted to know what you meant for it. You were talking about direct covert amends? Yes. Can you give, can you give an example of, of what uh, you mean by that? There's a phrase, discretion is the better part of valor, which is, it's from one of the Shakespeare plays, I'm pretty sure. And, and it's one of those phrases where it's very difficult to discern the meaning from the words. But I think the, the sense is discretion is more important than valor. It's much more important to be discreet than it is to be brave. Um, there may be a cultural difference between the British and the Americans here in that um, that the cultural stereotype right or wrong and America is a big place and it's actually 11 nations not one um, depending on which historian you read nine or 11 depending on the historian and where we you know the historians earlier books or the later books that, that they, they disagree on the number of nations within America and each has its own culture so Maine is different than New Mexico for instance uh, inland Maine is different than coastal Maine. There we go. Um, uh, but Americans uh, have the stereotype of, of having their heart on their sleeve. And the British uh, have the reputation of pushing everything under the carpet and being very uncomfortable with uh, anything open. Um, sometimes the bad behavior, let's say the bad behavior is um, ill temper and crossness and so on. The harm done, you see, this is a direct amend. What we're doing is, if possible, to amend the harm that's been done, to rectify to rectify the harm that has been done, like, like sewing up a fabric that's been ripped. Um, if someone, if, if, you're, if you're being cross with someone or ill-tempered or something, and the risk is that they think you're upset with them or angry with them in a sort of general way. Um, or if you've, if you've had harsh words with a friend or even just slightly tense words with a friend. Um, sure, you could have some candid conversation about what happened last Thursday. But often opening up that can of worms actually leaves it create it can create a bit of a stink it can ruin that day as well and then there are more misunderstandings and then you're back at square one 
but simply resuming normal operations, being very careful and solicitous and kind and even tempered and doing something to give the person the understanding that you love them and that you care for them and that you're not angry with them and what happened has happened but it's not going to be held against you do, do you know what i mean there are ways there are ways of mending the harm in the relationship without having to have a sort of danielle Steele conversation about it or a barbara taylor bradford conversation about it um, um so making amends directly um it doesn't necessarily it doesn't necessarily mean a conversation it does mean that something has to be mended now that's not i don't think that that's licensed people will the dangerous thing of talking about this is people will seize on that say well i shall make living amends and then they don't do anything and by that they mean doing literally nothing more than they would ordinarily do but double counting ordinary everyday human behavior is making amends and then ticking step nine off the list as though something has been done when it hasn't. Um, so that won't do either. Very often uh, a conversation is necessary. Um, but also with a, an, an, a, a good example of where a covert amend is, is necessary. One of the principles in step nine, except when to do so would injure them or others, uh, one of the ways in which you can injure someone by making amends is by trying to make amends for something which they either didn't know about or sensed dimly, but had no proof of, had no verbal confirmation of. Um, and in those cases, if you were to reveal your inner landscape, uh, especially if the person has no emotional resources or resilience or maturity, emotional maturity or emotional intelligence or wisdom or any of those things, they simply wouldn't be able to process your revealed inner landscape and it would sit there. I'm sure some of you have got relatives who remember what was said in 1974 and shall never ever forget it. So one must be very careful about saying things in amends, which are new. One should I, I think I only have an overt conversation about what was overt and not to. So there you're going to be making amends directly by showing kindness and show, going massively above and beyond what you would normally do in order to mend the harm, but without saying a word about what you're doing or why you're doing it. Uh, so that's a direct but covert amend. So uh, the directness of the amend is more important than whether it's overt or covert, but there has to be something which goes above and beyond what is required of you just as an ordinary human being. So that's my answer to that. Thanks, Tim. Does anyone else have any questions for Tim? Hi everyone, Dan Alcoholic. Dan. Uh, thanks, Tim. Yeah, I had uh, a question on. So the first day of senior school, I had a punch up with a, another kid, and um, we went on to become friends in school. And I don't ever remember there being uh, an apology between us or anything. But we, it was like it didn't happen, right? It was just sort of accepted as a, you know, a rite of passage or whatever it was. But there was no animosity and we were friends until we left school. So with something like that, 
obviously there was a situation there and if that would have went the other way and I would have been, you know, sworn enemy, then that would be a different story. But if you turn into friends, do you think that that requires an amend or that's a... Yeah, it's a really, really, that's a brilliant example because that's a perfect example of the situation where column one, what did you do? I punched him in the face. Column two, what should I have done? Said, not punched him in the face. Third column, who suffered and how? No one. Because it was, there's a thing that doctors used to write in medical records in Norfolk, which is famed for having people with a slightly unusual genetic profile, rightly or wrongly thought. I mean, I don't know. I'm not from Norfolk. They, doctors would literally write NFN, normal for Norwich, or normal for Norfolk. And... <laughs> So things which anywhere else would require explanation, they just, we're just not even going to go there. So there are lots of things where what is right or wrong, whether someone was harmed or not, will depend on the social setting. So there are business practices, which in one field would be, a, would be disciplinary offences or grounds for legal claims, but which in other sketchier areas of business, for instance, nightclub promotion, um, where the pra certain practices fly where they wouldn't somewhere else. So I think it, that's why the third column, who suffered and how is so important. And there are two ways of coming at the third column, either speculating as to what happened, you know, if I'd been in that position, how would I, how would I have felt? Or simply looking at the evidence, is there any actual real world evidence that anything was worse, anyone was worse off on any level as a result of this? Is there anything to indicate that anyone was harmed? And what you're telling me with that situation is there was no indication that anything was harmed. Similarly, if maybe there was, but it's blown over, and it's being forgiven and forgotten and just chalked up. And my old sponsor, Brian, would say all is fair in love and war. There are some things where a certain amount of rough and tumble is par for the course, is normal in certain types of relationships, certain types of environment in the city, which I've worked in, uh, where people were very rough with each other uh, in a way that you couldn't get away with now in most working environments. But it was normal for how those city firms operated 25, 28 years ago. So you just you just sort of sucked it up and you, you, you toughened up. And that was just part of the deal. So a lot of it is contextual. What, what's the social context? Where is it? What, 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 what's the domain of life? What's the social context? Who were the people involved? Were they actually affected? So it, the third column actually can bring up some really interesting uh, information. Thanks, Tim. Um, is there anyone else? Okay, it doesn't seem to be the case. Um, now, um, uh, one tiny thing. There's one tiny thing. Sometimes you get super complicated situations 
And what you get people to do, I'll keep this really brief. What you get people to do is to write a little dramatis persona at the top, who's who, names and roles. And then the events that occurred in the order that they occurred with no analysis, just this is what happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened, with your contribution highlighted. And with each contribution, was that right or wrong? Was that right or wrong? Was that right or wrong? And then you find out what the harm, what the, aha. So it was at, you were fine up until you tore up the plane ticket. That was the thing that you did wrong. Uh, but sometimes you need to get it out. You need to get the pe- the whole char- array of characters first and then the events in chronological order and then you can make head or tail of it. So that's a helpful way to help people untangle tricky situations. Uh, yeah, is there any any anyone else with a question? Okay, if not, um, I'd like to hand back to Tim to uh, close with Serenity Prayer. Please feel free to unmute if you care uh, to. Thank you. Uh, would you please join me in the Serenity Prayer? God, God grant me the serenity, me serenity to, to accept, accept the things I cannot change. change. The courage to change things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Thank Thanks, you. Tim. Thanks, Alistair. Thank you. See you soon, everyone. Thanks. Thanks.